Father Anthony. Father Harrison, how are you doing? You look so much healthier than when I talked to you a week ago. I don't feel so good. You don't? You don't? You look better. You you look less trampled. You know, I've been pondering this last week. (laughs) I've been pondering, because this is twice now. As you've laid in your sick bed, yes. Well, the first time I was actually legitimately sick, last week I was just so crazy busy I couldn't fit time in. I was like, how am I going to get him back? And how am I going to poke fun at America? Yep. Then I realized there's nothing interesting about America to poke fun at, so I'm not going to. Wow, that's that's what you're going to do. You take the the high road while also taking the low road, which is exactly. a great kind of like elitist thing to do. <laughs> it's a good move. It's a good move. Not going to lie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Right. Christ is risen. Indeed, He is risen. Yes. Awesome. Great response. How was your Easter? It was good. You know, uh, it was surprisingly calm. Uh, hmm. Holy Week was good. Uh, I want to give special props to, uh, I did uh, a Holy Thursday Mass at one of my parishes, and there were two gentlemen who, like, really just, like, ran the show. Like, they knew what they were doing. They were well-trained. It made my life so much easier. I could just focus on the liturgy and focus on prayer and focus on my homily. Because I felt like Holy Thursday, especially with the year we've had, you really needed to bring your A game um, to this after everything that's happened in the priesthood and the church, and I was glad I was able to do that. And then um, everything else went smoothly. Nice. And I had two masses for Easter. I got to hang out with the family afterwards. So it was good. It was nice. good. Nice. Yeah, we. Uh, it's my second Easter here at the parish. Mm. So I felt a little bit more in control of things, which is good. We had Holy Thursday, which went fine. We had a decent turnout, adoration till midnight. We had stations at 11 for kids, and then 3 o'clock service. And then Easter vigil, where I made three mistakes. Three whole mistakes? <laughs> Yeah, I was not happy with myself. Say isn't so. What did you do? What did you do? I well, thank. I after the baptisms and confirmations, I went to sit down, mm-hmm. and the choir is looking at me like, "Father, what are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh right, we got to do the sprinkling right." And then I also forgot to give the baptized person his new candle. And I forgot the intercessions. So thankfully, I had people look giving me that weird look like. Uh, you sure that's next? Uh, so next year I'm going to make sure I have like a sheet in front of me, mm-hmm. kind of just detailing what's next just so I don't forget. Because I'm usually pretty good with Mass, but sure. saying the Exalted, everyone was so happy with it. And we had two Easter Sunday Masses. This is, all right, little, little tiff here. What do you, what do you, what do you, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, it's two weeks before Mass. We only have one Mass on Sundays usually. Okay. One Saturday Vigil, one Saturday vigil at five, one Sundays. I announced for two weeks, folks, because Easter is busier, and I know a lot of people will not come to the Vigil Mass because it's almost three hours, Mm -hmm. we have two Masses on Easter Sunday. It's like the norm here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So those Mass times are going to change. Instead of 10 o'clock, we're going to have 9 and 11. I said this two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. It was in the bulletin for the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, Easter Mass also takes a little longer. I think I was, at the moment, I think I just finished a consecration. And now, if you're a visitor, that's different. Sure. You don't know. Maybe uh, we have, we're have we having website issues, and our old website still pops up as the first thing on Google, and it's horrible. It doesn't tell you anything. Right. So, and I can't get on it for some reason. So, okay. So, maybe I found it on the wrong website. Fine. That's not your fault. But I saw parishioners who've been there for the last two weeks who take the bulletins and read them and who still showed up at 10 o'clock. Hey, yeah. Don't people listen? No. Like, Come on! No, of course not. This is this People is the don't thing. Listen. Yeah, there's always going to be people who who just do not 
listen, and I it's no malice on their part. It's just no, I think you no, get I know, so I used to. I don't know, but it's true. Like I don't know. I, I you can you could have d- announced that for months. You could have announced mm-hmm. that for years. Every single mass, you could have yep. put it in your bulletin. You could have made posters. You could have bought radio yeah. ads and TV ads. And I guarantee yeah. you, there still would have been a significant amount of people who showed up at ten o'clock. This is this thinking. is the world, the fallen, broken world we live in. Thankfully, they came back for the eleven. That's good. At which least, I yeah, was yeah. very happy about. Good. Um, so I was like, just like, come on, mm-hmm. I've been, what's the point of me saying any of this stuff if you people aren't going <laughs> to listen? Uh, but it was good. So then we also actually had something new for mass this year. What? Um, we don't like new yeah. things in mass. What are you talking about? Well, it's a new old thing. Ooh. Actually two new old things. Threatening. I, I have a friend who is a professional trumpet player in the Canadian Navy. And so, uh, he came up for the weekend with his wife mm-hmm. and they stayed with me and he played trumpet for the vigil and the two Easter Sunday oh, masses. That's nice. Uh-huh. Cause I thought it's a, it's a, tr- and mm-hmm. I sang the Regina Celli after communion at all three masses. Oh, that's nice. And this is, this is the really cool thought part for me. Mm-hmm. Cause I did that on, I did that with a purpose. Of course. I wanted people to know that you can, you know, if we do these beautiful things, you actually like them. You just don't know it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. You actually like beautiful chant. You just don't know it. Mm-hmm. And I sang them, and so many people were coming up to me like, "Oh, Father, that was so beautiful. I have I can't. That reminded me of my childhood, or that reminded me of Rome or whatever. Yeah. And and that was the point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These things are actually. I mean, nice. it's also it's actually something that's traditionally sung after communion on Easter, yeah. but at Easter. But it's it was also like a little. You know what? You guys like these. I know you like these things. <laughs> you just don't know it. So I'm going to do it for you. It's not long. The Regina Celli is very short. Mm-hmm. And um, and it turned out well. And then my parents uh, were, and my aunt came over also for Easter Sunday dinner. And I had a few other friends visiting from town. It was, a, it was like crazy. It was a crazy week. And then I, the bishop was staying here for three days and that was busy. And yeah so and we have a seminar and we have a seminarian here for right now but i told uh, him he had to get out of the rectory while i record oh good good, good. we don't want you know seminarians on the well rectory. i just don't want him making you know you know how noisy seminarians they're the are. worst they're uh, the worst they, they make noise all the time <laughs> uh wait i was gonna ask you something oh so you had no idea we were going to drop anything last friday did you i had no idea whatsoever so walk me through your thought process what was your experience of so seeing- before i do okay i'm father harrison i'm father anthony and this is clerically speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the time like, wow, we've actually been bantering for. Well, it's been like we haven't bantered for a couple weeks, really. It's true. Right? We got to catch goodness. up. We got to catch up. It's not like it's like we never talk to each other ever. Never. Just on the podcast. We got just on the podcast. Everything only. is content. Save everything because, for content. Well, we actually hate each other so much we don't like actually talking to each no. other. No, none whatsoever. Uh, Bitter enemies. My thought process was, you know exactly what knobs to turn with me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting there. I was like, he knows how much I hate the kind of Canadian stereotype stuff because I am like the one place that is not stereotypically Canadian. And he's just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Now, you have to tell the good people Mm -hmm. where this idea came from. Oh, right. So I was, it's great. It's great. And so take this as you will. I'll just give you guys the facts. So it was. Probably, it was definitely Tuesday. Tuesday, we we had pretty much decided that we're not going to drop a podcast. I said, that's fine. Stuff happens. We've been doing a good job, whatever. 
And I was at my holy hour. And it was in my holy hour that this whole vision of exactly what I was going to say, like, just bursts into my mind. So some might say it's divine providence, the special gift of grace that we were able to give the podcast. Others, less faithful, may say that Father Anthony was super distracted in prayer and just let his mind wander to the goofiest stuff. And then he did that yeah. for a podcast. So you can take that either way. But uh, I'm pretty sure that what I said was almost certainly directed to me directly from god so there you go that i yeah i had a good laugh i had a good laugh good. it is weird though because i've listened to the whole podcast mm -hmm. you did a good job uh and it, it's weird just listening to one voice it's hard it was hard to do uh because you don't have an audience and yeah you're just kind of going and yeah i i mean i would not want to do that very often at all mm -hmm. it's good to have you back though okay mm -hmm. i'll just say it because we were we were you know the folks the people, the good listeners, yes, yes. have been begging, have been wondering, when are you going to talk about Mary? Yep. And the excesses of Mary and devotion. Uh -huh. And guess what? We were going to do that today, folks. We were going to. I was we like, were. Father Harrison, we were going to. you have to do it. I have text message yes. evidence saying, Father Harrison, you literally have to do this before people show up in parkas at your front door with torch and pit pitchfork to... How would they have torches if it's so cold for fire to exist? Oh, that's a good question. What would they have? Hmm... Like those, oh, they would have like little hand warmers and pitchforks maybe or something like that. Okay. Anyway. Well, maybe ice picks. Ice picks. Anyway, the angry, angry mob at your front yes, door. Yes, yes, yes. So I was, I was going to do it today, but I was like, I don't really feel, honestly, folks, I don't think that's worthy of like a whole presbyteral exhortations because, well, no, it's just, there's actually not a whole lot to say. What I hear you saying is Mary isn't worth an entire presbyteral oh exhortation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, it's too easy. Your face easy. is not worth easy. an entire presbyteral <laughs> exhortations, okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I that the idea around excesses in Marian devotion is something that's actually very easy to address. So we actually thought it would be kind of neat once in a while to maybe drop a little single episode where it's just one of us for once in a while. So I'm going to try and record that this weekend and drop it for you folks uh, later on. But yeah, so there we go. Uh, but we all know who loved Mary. Yes, we do. St. Thomas Aquinas. Summa. Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk of The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. Now, you guys listened, because the last time we both recorded to each other, we gave you all a hard time. Mm -hmm. We said, tweet better tweets. And you did. Yeah, like, we got a lot of good we tweets. Got, we, we got a ton here. I like So much that we are going to have to use a lot of these next week, because it's just too much here so mm -hmm. uh, i'm gonna go back it's been a couple weeks since this one but from jd flynn today canon lawyers around the world get calls from priests who say i have someone coming into the church on saturday i forgot to address the first marriage 
What can you do to fix it? Well, Padre, you're going to need to have a courageous conversation. DM me if I can help. What does this mean? What is he talking about? So let's say someone wants to get baptized into the faith. Okay. Um, they come to you, but, and they're in a marriage right now, but it's actually their second marriage. And their first marriage was to a non-Catholic and this person too is non-Catholic. So in the eyes of the church, that's a valid marriage, mm. but they left them. They divorced them, whatever. Who knows all the reasons? The second marriage that they're in right now is not currently currently recognized as a valid marriage. It'd be considered adultery. So you can't actually baptize the person because you can't baptize someone into a state of sin. Ah, like, wait. So that means if you did the baptism, would that be invalid? No. But you, okay. it's really that they are not. But it's in a, a problem. It's a huge problem because you can't receive communion. Like you're supposed to get all three sacraments of initiation to say, well, we're going to give you these two. Because in the moment when you're receiving them, you're not, I don't know. But I, it's true. You really, sh you shouldn't be initiating someone to the faith that's not living the faith. Yeah. Right? And so, Oof. but here's the thing. It's like, this should be literally the first question. One of the first questions when, you, when you're meeting with someone, someone comes into your office and you say, hey, oh, I want to become Catholic. Oh, that's great. Tell me about yourself. Great. What brought you here today? Great. Are you married? Great. Have you had any previous marriages? No. Oh, awesome. Great. Yes. Great. Tell me about that. Right. Was that person right. Catholic? Oh, they were Catholic. You didn't get married in a church. Well, that's very easy to fix. Right. It so is, like, yeah. there's also, there's ways to ask these questions in a very reasonable sound way that doesn't scare the person away because you know what you, what you're looking for. They don't need to know that yet. And that's, those are right. literally because they're, they're just interested in the faith. They don't know all this stuff yet. So just like put a head on your shoulders, people. And ask these questions. Yeah. Don't wait so till the last minute. It's like, oh, you want to be Catholic, sinner. Mm. Tell me how many adulterous relationships you've been in the past. Mm. So that's what, that's what you're saying, right? More or less. No. Basically that. No. 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 Okay. So <laughs> the next uh, tweet I have is from Larry Goose Train at Larry Goose Train. And she says, other guy at bar discussing manliness. To be honest, I just think about my dad and how he'd do anything for his family, no matter how goofy it made him look. And I love this because I've been saying this since I've been saying things, basically, is that manliness or masculinity or whatever you want to, whatever that means to be a man is tied to fatherhood. Yeah. You're not a man unless you're a father. And that can mean different things for different people. Yep. It can be spiritual fatherhood. It can be, um, you know, physical fatherhood. Mm -hmm. It has to, I mean, it also always has to be spiritual. It can also as well be physical. Uh, but this kind of selflessness and giving to others and protecting others, uh, giving your life for others, that's what manliness is about. Mm -hmm. So it might look like something kind of goofy. Like, especially, you know, like uh, we know people... We know dads who maybe only have like daughters mm -hmm. and they probably have to do goofy things to hang out with their little daughters and play princess or whatever. But that's incredibly masculine to do that for your family yeah. or whatever else it is yeah. whatever how goofy yeah. it is so i was like th i thought this tweet was right on the money awesome yeah and it is exactly it's like to be a good man means to be a good dad mm -hmm. that that's just what it comes down to and 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 yeah i just yeah amen amen i have, mm -hmm. I have nothing else to add you summarized it perfectly father anthony oh thanks all right this next one is from uh catherine jean lopez 
Easter Monday should be a holiday in the U.S. The greatest season is worth a weekday. And I read this and I thought, it's not a holiday in the U.S.? No. It is here. Is it? Yeah. Or at least it is in most of Canada. I guess some places, different provinces have a little different things, but uh, Mm -hmm. it's actually considered a national holiday. Well, cause, hmm. because Sunday is actually the national holiday. So because it's, yeah. it's landing on a Sunday, it always carries over to the Monday. Uh, so do like a yeah. So thing. in Canada, we actually get a four-day weekend. No, Well, well we, priests, for you. we priests don't because we're so busy right. with Easter stuff. But all the lay yeah. people get a four-day weekend. Our, yeah, we were able to we, are um, Catholic, close our offices for Monday. Yeah, are your Catholic schools open on Monday? I don't think so. Actually, I don't know. I haven't checked. Hmm. I would hope not. Um, our diocese is pretty good about closing on holy days. And now stuff. we have like a couple of rules um, in Canada. Like um, while both are considered national holidays, banks can't be closed for both the Friday and the Monday because you can't have banks closed for two days over a weekend. Uh, okay. uh, you can't have a long weekend like that. But yeah, Canada's better mm-hmm. than the U.S. in that way. In that way, what can you, what can you say? Uh, this just gives us opportunities for persecution. So it's actually a good thing. So. All Catholics next year, we're all just going to not go to work Monday. Yeah. And if we get persecuted for that, then we get extra Jesus. So what points. Father that's Anthony what is saying, do. that it's okay to lie to your boss about that you're sick, and that's why you can't go to work. No, don't lie to your I was saying the opposite. I'm saying no, I'm not I'm going to sure. work that's what you because said. I'm Christ sure is risen. you said to lie to your boss. Okay. So <laughs> the next tweet we have is... Being away for two weeks is actually good. It's uh, We got some uh, good banter going. I know. Look how great we are. Splash, Look how good we are at podcasting. Let's just talk about how good I, we are at podcasting. As I splash coffee in my face. <laughs> Let's become that. Let's become that podcast. We'll just talk about our own podcast and how good we are at podcasting and how great. Oh, you mean like Catching Foxes? Whoa! Oh, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. We love you guys. We love you guys. We love you guys. We love you guys. I'm kidding. They are good at podcasting. Uh, All right. Bu- bu- what do you got? Bu- bu- <laughs> I don't know. There's oh, lots there. This is one. Yeah, I know. This is from, I just found this incredibly funny. This is from uh, Father Peter, uh, oh, how do you pronounce his name? Tolben? Father I'm sh- Peter Tolben? We know how good you Tolben? are at pronouncing names. Tolben? Father Peter Tolben. Uh, Tolben? Brother Peter Tolben. Uh, he's a, he's our, uh, one of our many Dominican friends on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. And his tweet is, who is that? So, some context. Yes. Mm-hmm. Father Peter was explaining the 153 fish. So one of the ways that Thomas interpreted the 153 fish that the disciples caught after Jesus Christ rose from the dead is you are saved by obeying the Ten Commandments, which you can only do with the help of the seven gifts of the Spirit. Ten plus seven equals 17, and the sum of the first 17 integers is 153. So Thomas said it. That means it's obviously what the sacred writer meant. Right. And then Father Alex Shrank says, <clears throat> this is actually St. Augustine who came up with this. And then Father Peter Tobin, the Dominican, just says, who is that? <laughs> I thought it was great. I like to see a Dominican really leaning into his Dominicanness and being so enamored with St. Thomas Aquinas that, like, who, who even is St. Augustine? Who even is this person? Yeah. So I found that it, very it, it, it was very funny and uh, really on brand. Very on brand. That's it. It was incredibly on brand. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but it's although it's interesting. He does mention this a little bit later on, but actually, Thomas, I think Augustine is the most quoted person that a Thomas that Thomas quotes. Yeah, he quotes him all the time. So, really, if you're Thomas, you're also an Augustinian. 
if you're a good Thomist. Yes. I was, I thought I heard somewhere that the 153 was kind of representative of like the 100, like something around the nations or the races of the world or something. Yes. They thought there were 153 nations or races in the world. Um, I I remember hearing that. I can't remember where, but I just remember hearing that. uh, The church fathers get all kinds of crazy with when numbers pop up in the Bible. That's the Sunday's gospel. And it is. it is so like, I'm a. Af- There's a lot this coming Sunday. I'm just There's like, a lot. Okay, folks, prepare for a half hour homily. <laughs> it's so much. Like it's okay. I'm just gonna throw one out there because I just I can't help myself right now. Yeah, um, do it. When Jesus appears on the beach, to them so it says that they go fishing at night. They're going back to their old profession, their old way. Even though they've encountered the risen Jesus, they haven't come to faith yet. Essentially. Yeah. And when Jesus comes to meet them on the bi- on the shore, he says. Children, have you caught any fish? It's very interesting that he calls them children. Right, because, yeah. These are like grown men. Well, no. <laughs> what does he call them at the at the Last Supper? Friends. Mm-hmm. But now he's gone to a more fatherly role with them. He calls them children. It, it, and and in the Johannine um, theology, children is usually kind of like the level of the initiate. The you're, you're not quite, you haven't come out to solid food yet. So he's actually yeah. kind of acknowledging that their lack of faith by calling them children. Yeah. It's, it's not, he's not denigrating them. He's just saying it's a way of addressing. And then, um, so it's, they've kind of taken a step back and Jesus is acknowledging that they spiritually have stepped back. Yeah. And I think so, so that's cool. really good. Like so cool. up. So, so cool. Let's just go on a tangent, yeah. a little quick tangent. Cause that's often how, that's how Jesus Christ corrects. He always does so firmly, but also in a way that's full of gentleness and love. Have you been reading you the book s- of Revelations in the Office of Readings? <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> I will spit Oftentimes. you out of my mouth. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. Often, though, you're right. You're right. Yes, often. Right. Oh, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of kind of like um, revelation, uh, uh, personal revelation to the saints. Yeah. That's often the tone that you kind of hear in yeah. it. It's like, it's unwavering, it's firm, but it's also, it's never like, mean or anything like that yeah, he's not wagging the um, finger at them no he's not wagging the finger he's like you're being silly it's, it's time to stop yeah it's it is very fatherly in that sense um yeah and and also by the way to the it's interesting they go fishing at night right yeah and the night is the hour of death it's the hour of satan mm-hmm. uh, so but jesus shows up in the morning so it's like a new resurrection scene all over again there you so go. Cool. So cool. We, we can do a whole Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so good. All right. Uh, but we have other people we need to talk about. We need to talk about our Patreon people. So Patreon pontifications. Patreon pontifications. You support us. We read your tweets. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. And before we do that, yeah, uh, producer Nick has got us stuff. We should kind of. I think we should say why we got this stuff partially. Okay, yeah, so, so we got go a soundboard, four microphones, uh, all very fancy, and so we got this so that first, the first time we're going to use it will be next week because mm-hmm. we're all going to be descending upon the great land of Chicago. That's right. To hang out with our uh, other priest friends, just like we did very early on in the podcast. Yep. Uh, like when did we do that? October. That was, that was October. So that was like three months into the podcast. Right. Yeah. 
And it was a lot of fun, and everybody liked it, but the sound quality was kind of iffy, right? Iffy is so a now, gentle way of putting it. It was bad. It was bad sound quality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we did our best with what we have, yeah. and now we've got nicer uh, microphones and equipment, so we'll be able to do that. So we'll be able to have a, a super, a mega cast next week, which yeah. we're very excited for. I think for. there'll be six of us? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. That's crazy. So many priests in one spot. Yeah. Why aren't you all spending your time hearing confessions? Why are you podcasting and wasting your time? Because anyway. Easter is busy, folks, and we need a break. <laughs> right. This is actually like my vacation time I'm taking. Yeah, this is my post-Easter break plus a couple days of vacation. So we're going to use the microphones for that, but also in the future um, to use them to bring other priests and other people on the podcast as mm-hmm. well. It'll be uh, a lot easier to do. There's yeah. a lot of um, great priests in my diocese. Um, uh, for example, Father Alex Schrank, we could bring on uh, Father Nick Vaskoff, Father Jim Gretz, all these, and there's m- even even more great priests in our diocese that like and are experts in certain areas, yeah, and we can bring them on and talk to them. And I, I'll be in Washington in July for some holidays, and yeah. so Father Anthony's going to try and come down for a day, hang out. Do a live, I, I is st- it a live I podcast? St- well, no, no, but no, but no. I, I kind of want to see if we can do like a, a sub-beacon, clerically speaking, crossover. I don't know if that's illegal. Uh, that'd be that's the dubious. best thing i think it's dubious too Our, i don't but, feel like i feel superior to most podcasts nearly all one, of them even the one. ones that have more listeners to us i, I feel very superior oh, no, to. it'd be us begging and pleading so that we could you right know, exactly and i don't know if podcast. i have the humility to do that either so i don't know if like i would just anyways we're going to regards we're yeah. going to try to record when we're, we're there together and and maybe get that would be a good time to get the great and venerable matt fish on right it would be yeah so we're expanding yeah. and doing yes. more fun stuff with the podcast. Yeah, so thank you, you guys. Yes, thank you so much, folks. We really, really, really appreciate it. And we're going to be sending another check here to the Missionaries of Charity very soon. Yep. Yep. I just need to write the letter. Yeah, write a letter. Yep. Uh, this week's tweet was chosen by Megan Daniel at Medbarth. And it's a tweet from the ever-famous Zachary Mabry. At Zach Mabry says, I made a handy flowchart for everyone. And the <laughs> flowchart is great. Is great. So the first box is, am I Catherine of Siena? Am, am I, I the Catherine of Siena yeah. of my time? Yeah. And the flow chart, there's only one branch, and it goes to the word no. So am I the Catherine of Siena of my time? No. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. So a few things about this tweet. First of all, it's great because it kind of blew up. And like most tweets that sort of blow up on the internet, Zach made like two spelling errors. He spelled Catherine wrong and Siena wrong, which is great. I'm sure he hates it that he did that. Um but this is because a lot of goofiness has been going on with the whole trying to correct the Pope thing, right? Yeah. it's it. We got another letter this week. Oh, my God. Everyone thinks they can write letters. Stop writing letters. Go pray your rosary. Don't write letters. Well, first thing is, I only recognized one name on that. Well, I recognized a couple of names, but sure. I recognized them because those people I thought were theologically unbalanced. Okay. So what happened, but, what happened was... Okay, go. A bunch of theologians got together, wrote a letter, public letter, to Pope Francis saying that Pope Francis is a heretic. And that he is— That's not an exaggeration. And he falls under the canonical crime of a delict of heresy. Yeah. So they officially declare him a heretic, which is not something that they can do. Nope. Right? Because who is the universal legislator of the law of the church? The Pope. Exactly. So that's a problem. But also, a lot—I've only— the some of the things they bring up in the letter are awfully silly things. Yeah, like the use of a crozier they didn't like the look of, and other stuff too. It's just very odd. But yeah, the thing, the reason I think it's only getting attention, 
it's only getting attention for one reason because of one name on the letter mm-hmm. father aiden nichols and i was honestly surprised that he was on that but people were showing me some links to other stuff he'd been saying so it actually kind of made sense mm-hmm. uh but he is he's a very uh, proficient theologian he's written tons of books it's like it's like he takes a breath and a book comes out um yeah and the stuff I've read by him is always really quite good and quite balanced. And I was a little shocked to see his name on this list because like, as everyone's been saying, they, anyone who, anyone who's most opinions that I respect uh, on, on this topic have all said, this is crazy. Yeah. Because, and, and um, Father Thomas Petrie actually had a good little thread on this topic. He said, this is all crazy because the stuff that people are criticizing have questions about Namoris Atitia are fair questions to ask right but they're they're they don't they don't say anything outright that it goes against the faith of the church and, and we have by virtue of our by virtue of our profession of faith where we make a promise of obedience to the to the ordinary and extraordinary magisterium of the church etc that actually requires the submission of faith on our part yeah that says i am going to look at this in the best lens possible and that's my job and duty as a priest. You did a good job. I think you did. Didn't you do an episode on um, papal, not papal infallibility, but like our relationship to the Pope? Didn't yeah. we do that? Yeah, we did a we did an episode that we talked about magisterium. Did, right. So we talked a little bit about that. Uh, but I think there's and maybe it's something we can go back to in the future. But there's a crisis of authority in the church right now, or perceived authority. Yeah. Because of all of the terrible things that moral things, uh, immoral things that many priests and bishops have done. Uh, there is this kind of crisis of who do we trust. Right. And there's an abandonment of the spiritual practices of obedience and a misunderstanding of what obedience really is. Yeah. There is kind of a laziness, I think, of many people who want to correct, but without any kind of care for the body of Christ. Yeah. And, because they'll say, well, I mean, these people or saying these things, it's, it doesn't matter if we scandalize people who don't have faith anyway. Right. There's like a lack of care for those who uh, aren't as theologically inclined. They just see a bunch of theologians criticizing the Pope. That causes scandal. And they harm the body of Christ in the name of truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you can't have like problems or something, but the way they go about it is a very selfish, self-indulgent way that's mm-hmm. very worrisome. And is not the way that saints like Catherine of Siena would do those things. Exactly. There's not a lot of humility in a lot of these critiques, and I think there's very little self-reflection. Exactly. Um, and I think there's um, – I was DMing with someone about this the other day, too. I said, we have to be careful because, yes, there is politics at play in all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and there are people who are, I think, trying to use these things and even maybe the papacy to undermine the faith. Um, however, um, the response is not to do more politics. Right, because that's actually the house divided against itself. That's the that's what the Satan that's what Satan wants. Mm-hmm. If he can't attack the church directly, he's going to try to attack its members to destroy it from within. However, but I was saying that if our response our response should not be okay. How do we reposition ourselves to get our way ahead? That's just going to create more division. Our response should always be prayer, sacrifice, and penance. Right, and that if through that if God moves us like i think he did saint catherine of siena mm-hmm. then that'll that'll happen but i think two people are just play, they're playing right into the devil's hand 
Yeah. We're playing right into the devil's hand. He wants us to destroy ourselves from within. If you aren't, if this isn't the fruit of prayer and like in holiness, because like the other thing is like, yeah, I mean, some of them, I'm sure these are all people of prayer, right? But, right. um, but you can tell a lot. I mean, not just these people, but maybe some other critiques, or at least the common ones you see on Twitter and on certain blogs. What's the fruit? What What is the fruit that right. we have seen? It's only caused confusion and chaos and despair. And the people who are doing these things, they the way they speak about the church and the faith, there seems to be very little love there. It's all a very practical, a very um, uh, not. You say this all the time. Uh, faith, uh, all about propositions and not about relationship, yeah. and not about entering into Christ. It's right. just it's it's like this very intense hobby people have and not a life they live. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree, and I think we just we have, and I, that's why I really appreciated um, Zach's tweet because I just thought this is hilarious. At first, it's hilarious, right? Um, but second, and that's the other thing, we don't. There is no Catherine of Siena of our time. Mm-hmm. There's not supposed to be, right? There's supposed to be the Father Anthony and the me, and that where they are the people of our time. There is no resurgence of these different saints and new situations demand new responses. Yeah, and I also think Catherine of Siena didn't have social media in her age, so she could do these things. I think with a greater private privacy than can happen today. Right, and again, it's also this excessive look at the papacy that isn't healthy for us either. So there's just a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed. I under, I I watched a video by Father Fessio about this, where he said, "Yeah, this isn't her- There's not heresy here. Like, like let's chill a little." Yeah, <laughs> but he made a good point that I thought was was very worth pondering. He said, "However, obviously." There are questions, there are enough people who are concerned and confused by some sections of this document that clarifications really should be coming forward. Yeah, I, I, and I that's kind been of, my problem for a while. And yeah. I, there, I kind of, I kind of would agree with him because I am, it is my duty to not doubt the Pope's good intentions here. Yeah, I, yeah. I have to presume his good intentions here. And, um, and I think, Father Fessio's point, though, was was good and fair, and it's no pope is perfect. People have criticisms of JP two and Benedict and Francis mm-hmm. <laughs> about styles of leadership of what we need, and we also have to remember we're not the pope. Correct. And there is more than just what's going on in little North America. Also correct. He's got literally one point one billion Catholics in the world. I mean, like, like folks, remember, like there are more Catholics in Brazil than there are in North America. Yeah, and that's a problem, I think. <laughs> it's really hard for people, especially in North America, to accept that they're not the most important part of the church in the world. Yeah. Because... We became yeah. that because of money, which is a whole other issue. Right, but, right. Yeah. Cool. So thank you. Sorry, I forgot who tweeted it, so tell me again, because... Uh, so, Megan Daniel, thank you for thank supporting you. us on Patreon, and Zach Mabry, thanks for tweeting so good. Yes, awesome. So, let us... We've been speaking presbyterally already, but let us continue. And we're going to get very presbyteral today. I know, it's exciting. So we'll go into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral 
exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, yes, quite, yes, quite. All right, so as I said, I was going to do the Mary thing, but I'll just drop something privately. I'll try to do that this weekend, folks. Um, I This week, I or two weeks ago, I, I subscribed to a journal that I quite enjoy. It's called mm -hmm. Communio. It's uh, it's a theological journal, and it's got a lot of writers I like who whose the theological worldview I very much buy into. And I got this issue, and I looked at the cover, and I said, "Oh, that looks really good." It the title is this: Priesthood, Consecration, Marriage. Is love possible? And I started to read it, and it was amazing. So I it kind of got me thinking about. Celibacy. I, and there's actually, there's a second case here I want to kind of bring into this before we kind of start our discussion and everything. Because it, it really kind of at the heart of this discussion is celibate love mm. and what it means and what its purpose is and why it's important to the life of the church. Because this other thing happened this week. So one of the reasons I was busy last week is we had our bishop. He's been touring the diocese, doing kind of listening sessions uh, about the abuse crisis. And I, I will say he did a very, very good job. Um, he he listened he, he kind of he wanted to talk first he had a great thing at the beginning he he didn't shy away from anyone's questions and he also tried to help i would say kind of correct people a little bit because one of the things i took away from that session was all people have a very monolithic view of the church like if you're a bishop you can control everything in the church <laughs> essentially and he's yeah. like no i can only control what's happening here yeah. i can't control seminaries even I mean, he can't. He can control. He's on. I, I think all Western bishops are on the board for Saint Joseph Seminary, so they can advise there, obviously. But right. outside of that, like, he's got no control over what happens in South America and stuff like that. That's right. not his purview, and it can't be. And we have to be careful about just presuming too much on the office of bishop. It was really good. But one of the questions he got that night was from someone around marriage, a marriage of priests, and he apparently it comes up every time. Yes, and. She was saying how it could, you know, fix the loneliness problem in the priesthood. And Ugh. I know. And this person, though, I think they're, they're coming about it very honestly. I'm yeah. You know, I, I really do I believe that. I think most people are. Are, yes. right? And, and she also said, but she said something very interesting, too, about how, you know, it's because we have a married priest in our parish who's retired, mm -hmm. um, who's a former Anglican. And she says it seems unfair that he got to have all this and... And, and and the other priests don't. And I'm thinking, like, I, I sat, I was sitting there, and I'm like, you know, this is really awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. It's good. It's good, but it's good to have these awkward conversations it is. as well. Well, as people are talking about the priesthood, and I'm like, you guys know I'm right here, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was. Someone I, find Father Harrison a wife. I'm good, thanks. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I sat there for a few reasons. First, I, I got to say, I've been actually really blessed. I had loneliness in the seminary. I have not had a single day of loneliness in the priesthood. I, I love that you say that because that's been my experience as well. Yeah. Like seminary was way lonelier yeah. than, than priesthood has been. Yeah, because like, you're surrounded by people. And I don't know about you. I have good friends, families that I know. Yeah, parishioners, other you know the priest DM stuff like this. Like yeah. we have, I have a community of people who I can be in contact with every day. And there's also something about actually doing what you want to do. Yeah, uh, like, like seminary is a very difficult time because it's transitional time. 
Like, yeah. I know a lot of couples have a lot of difficulty in their engagement period. Yeah. Because it's this not yet, but almost, and it's a very difficult time. Because it's yeah. like, where are you? It's very transitional. Exactly. I think the same thing goes for seminary, but you're stuck in seminary for like you know eight years. Exactly. And that's that's, that's particularly a lot of engagement. difficult. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I think something about just ah, this is where I'm meant to be. This is who I'm meant to be. Here I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, it helps with that. But anyway. Yeah. Ahead. So, yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not lonely. I didn't say that. I kind of kept quiet during the question session. Uh, you want know, you want to leave it to the bishop, right? But I was like, I'm never. I'm not lonely. And I was actually thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's a real blessing, actually. Yeah. Because uh, it's not. I, I've heard it from other priests that they've had had times of loneliness. And I. And do you know what? It's probably going to come one day. Oh sure. It's probably going to come in some form. I don't know how it's going to come. And that's okay though, because guess what, folks? There is loneliness in marriage too. What? Um, but the other thing is, I was, I, I am not mad that other priests who are coming from different traditions who are ordained priests and are married, I don't think that's unfair. Yeah. I am glad. It's a mercy that the church offers for these people to come into full communion with us. Mm-hmm. It's not a norm, though. And I think it's because, and I think we have done a disservice at understanding what celibacy is. And I think this mm-hmm. is the problem. We see the priest as just like a manager of a parish. He's just like the guy who makes all the decisions. He can do whatever he wants, but we don't actually understand celibate love. Yeah. And actually, this is going to be an, I'm going to write this as an insert for my parish next week about what the the nature of celibacy is for the priesthood and why it's important. Uh, So I thought we should talk about that. Yeah. Do you have any comments while I look up my passage? Yeah. it's, It's a fascinating, those questions are very revealing mm-hmm. um the questions of like the idea that it's unfair that some priests get married and we don't it's presuming that first of all it sort of takes away my agency in this whole process like i knew exactly what i was getting into i mean of course you never know exactly, exactly. what you're getting into. Yeah, like, yeah. like in marriage you never know exactly what you're getting into but yeah. you know what you're choosing yeah. right yeah, ex- so i exactly. know i'm exactly. choosing celibacy absolutely i was not tricked into this i was not duped into this i was like no this is actually how i want to live my life like what god wants for me and what i want these things seem to be lining up good and that's a choice so i get a little like upset when people think they need to fix my life like wouldn't father i don't think people do this but when you bring up these questions, that's what it makes me feel like, oh, mm. father would be better if he got a wife and he's probably lonely and sad. It's like, no, no, I'm yeah. not. Like, this yeah. is something that I chose. Like, who do you think I am? Yeah. Like, I wasn't, no one forced me to do this. So part of me gets like a little upset and a little on edge when people start yeah, talking same like that. I, I do too. I get a little defensive with that one. Yeah. Um, and this is the other, I think, now priests do get weird, <laughs> but it's not celibacy's fault, actually. No, it's not. It's actually the fault of the singleness of priesthood. What I mean by that is priests who live alone in a rectory. Mm, that can be tough, yes. Right? And I'll, like, I'll be honest. Like, I have a seminary. I told him. Actually, the first thing I said to him, I said, I, I, I'm going to warn you. I've been living on my own for a year and a half now. I've developed my own habits and my own routines. And I don't mean it. If, I, if it seems like I'm ignoring you one night or whatever, it, I'm not actually. I've just gotten so used to doing things my own way. Uh I'm going to have to grow to ha- having you around here for a weekend. I mean, he's only here for a week and a half, right? But still, but, yeah. I mean, I'm grateful. I actually have the awareness to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is good. But I said, like, I, I, but it's good that you're here. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make you feel welcome here, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I, um, I, 
I think the issue is that, you know, it's like actually canon law says that it, the norm is for priests living community. Mm-hmm. Because the reason the reason I say all this is that it's not the celibacy, it's singleness, is that priests kind of essentially become living as, get used to living as bachelors, mm-hmm. um, having their own routines. They don't interact with other people too much, et cetera. And so they, they, um, they get, they get weird, quirky habits and they expect people to kind of bend to those weird, quirky habits because they've been so used to living on their own. Yeah. But when you live in community, it's like living in a family, you're going to rub up against each other. You're going to get yell. You're going to get angry. Right. You're going to be purified through that. And that's a good thing. And I think that's why, I think that's where, where, uh, where there needs to be a real discussion. Like, I think that's why it's great what you guys are doing in Pittsburgh because there's not a single priest that lives alone. Right. Well, but maybe you say that. Well, I mean, there are, I think, there, I think sure, there, there, are. Might be, there might be a few, but maybe, but, but like, but, but generally also, you guys all live in community. Yeah. I mean, no, you no. can live in the same house and not live in community. This is true. This is true. And this is something that I kind of struggle with because I've kind of gotten used to kind of being on my own. Even right. though, even when I lived in the house with two other priests, we never saw each other. There was, it was not community living. Mm. Like you would bump into each other every once in a while. Um, I would work with my pastor here and there. Um, the other priests who worked at a different parish, would, you know, when we did bump into each other, we would sit down and talk and stuff. But it's not, there wasn't that sacrificial aspect right. that community life demands. When you live in community, you, you end up having to sacrifice your own wants, needs, and desires for the sake of the other. Whether that be what you're having for dinner or... Um, showing up to morning prayer or something like that, you, you're not living just for yourself in those little moments. Um, so, I mean, like, I'll be honest, I, you know, I live with another priest. We don't have a communal life, nor yeah. do I have a strong desire for that. Hmm. Um, like, I, I have a desire for community in general. I like engaging with other priests, talking with other priests, but it's also kind of, I can understand the comfort of kind of being able just to do my own thing and choose my own, like I'm going to wake up when I want to, I'm going mm-hmm. to whatever when I want to. So it's something that I personally struggle with. I need to watch out for. Yeah. So I just thought like, so too often when we're talking about celibacy, we're talking about it. I, I've always found people tend their, their um, default position is to talk about it in a practical term. The, by, because the priest is celibate, he is more available to his parishioners, which is right. true on a spiritual level too, but I, they don't mean that. They mean that if you need to, if we need father at 3 a.m., he can be there. Right. Or, you know, um, he's just always available essentially. And I'm like, that's not the point of celibacy. It's meant to be a witness to something more. And it's mm-hmm. actually meant, so uh, some clarifications of terms. Let's, let's define our terms here for a second. Oh, good, good, yeah. The first one is celibacy is not the promises. We make a promise of celibacy as priests. It's not the same as the vow of virginity or chastity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, How cel- are those two things different? Celibacy is the promise to say, I will not get married. And that's right. literally canonically. If we're going to speak canonically for a second, that is literally all it means. Mm-hmm. Now, right. because you've made that promise, that means you're in a state of life where you ought not to break that but to act unchastely with yourself or with another person is a breaking of that promise because you're acting against the state of life that you've chosen. Right. So, right? But, uh, yeah, the rules. Okay. So, yeah. um, the way I, I, I talk about it is, um, everyone's called to be chaste. Mm-hmm. The rules of your 
chastity change depending on your state of life. Exactly. Exactly. So if yeah. you're if you're celibate, the rules are pretty cut and dry. Yeah. You, you, there's no sexual relations. There's no engaging with someone in a way to like woo them or flirt with them. All these things are super illegal because that's you've. Yeah. It's against your state in life. Yeah. If you're a single person, it's a little bit different. You can engage in romantic relationships. Yeah. Still no sex outside of marriage. Right. In marriage, chastity is different because you're uh, allowed and are supposed to have sex, but also for the right reasons. Exactly. Uh, and in the right ways as well. Yeah. So you can be chaste in all those relationships, in all those states of life, but it's going to look different. Chastity will look different for each state in life. Exactly. So um, so that's what chastity is. And then... Um, people who are like consecrated virgins, uh, people who enter religious life, like we actually don't make a promise of virginity or anything like that. Okay, folks. So um, it's just, it's very interesting. People look at celibacy as being the same thing as chastity. They are actually different things. Yeah. And it's actually even celibacy is different than virginity. It's just saying I'm choosing not to get married for the sake of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that's always important to understand. Now, the discipline of celibacy, it's true, was not always universal in the church. It entered with Gregory VII during the Gregorian reforms in the 11th century. 11th century, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I, always, I think I mentioned it here on the podcast before. He imposed celibacy on, on the secular priests. He imposed the office on secular priests. And the vow of obedience got clarified a bit. He tried because he's trying to make um, secular priests like monks, essentially. He mm-hmm. tried to impose poverty, and it was around the poverty that the priest revolted. <laughs> Listen, we'll pray if you want us to. We won't get married if you want us to. But you damn well better let us keep our stuff, or else we are going to lose our minds. Well, and and often back then, um, property had a lot more importance right so if you're a priest oh, yeah, of the sure. church you had the property and you had lands and vassals and all that stuff so yeah, it was very different so he actually he stopped at, at he didn't do poverty um so it's true we, celibacy was never the norm but it's always been the norm for bishops right like from pretty much after the apostles uh very quickly celibacy became a norm for bishops and it's a pretty ancient practice and that will i don't see that ever change i mean again just on practical terms i just don't see how a bishop could ever do it um but i think in the roman right it became a kind of a develop i would almost i almost want i I know it's a, a practice but i want to go a step further i think there is actually an insight and a beauty to the roman rights uh understanding of celibacy and its importance yes because celibacy is a witness to the kingdom. We are trying to live now what Christ, um, what Christ, what we will all be living when Christ comes again. We are trying to be kind of a sign to the world. Not only that, it's in a way a slight glimpse to what our state was like even before the fall. Uh, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I want to, but I won't. Um, just that's what I'm, all I'm going to say on that. Uh, if, if you want more, I'll do a little thread on it. Um, but it's a witness that this is all important. But there is there is an aspect of a life of celibacy and virginity that kind of go together. And I want to read something from Father Prospery. He wrote the, one of these articles in Communio. I, I think he's talking about um, he want, he's talking about Mary's encounter with Mary Magdalene in in the garden, and she when. He looks at the face of his disciples, and in them he saw... The, so I want to... It's a long quote, but just bear with me. 
the vision of the Father that Jesus saw in the face of Mary Magdalene, to take a feminine example, in no way diverted his attention from the beauty of her face. On the contrary, this vision served only to intensify infinitely the glory of her face, and thus Jesus' desire to serve her beauty and make it grow in splendor. We come in this way to the second point. I have manifested your name to them. How did Jesus manifest the Father's name or person to his disciples? He himself has provided the answer. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Peter was able to know the Father not directly, but only in the mirror of Jesus' eyes, in which Peter saw, inexplicably, as it were, Jesus' own gratitude for the presence of him, a rude fisherman of Capernaum at his side. This is what virginity is at its core. The refraction, in and through my eyes, of the eternal love that wills you to be. It is in this way that virginity is a radiant witness to love itself. What was foreshadowed in the natural rejoicing in beauty finds here its greatest fulfillment. The virgin is one who, in looking at a human face, is given to pierce through it and perceive the abyssal mystery concealed within. In this way, one takes a radically new step in the ascent of the ladder of love, a disinterested love born from looking upon a beautiful creature becomes in Christ a generous readiness to lay down one's life for the salvation of each and every creature. Jesus Christ is able to glimpse in even the most disfigured face the radiance of the boundless love that chose and called this face into being. It's pretty intense. I was asking, as as you were reading that, I was asking myself, okay, cool, 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 cool. Uh, in what way do I live that out? In what way do I not, right? And there's a lot of ways we don't live it out. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I was leaning towards. Like, oh. Um, but the idea that celibate love is this kind of unfettered, unhindered, complete love for the other, where there yeah. is nothing to take, in a sense. Yeah. It's all gift to the other. And I go. can look at you without desiring anything other than your good. Exactly. And that's for everybody I meet. And that the gift of self, the greatest sense of the gift of self is in that self-sacrifice for the other. Yes. Um, I That I want to give myself for you. And that it's true. Yes, the nuptial mystery that we talk about within marriage is a great gift of self, but it's not the greatest gift of self. Mm-hmm. The greatest gift of self is literally laying down your life for a friend. And we do that kind of by our, our entire being. Yeah. As celibates. Yeah. And so it's saying that actually virginity is actually, and it's okay. Put all the qualification here, folks. I'm not saying virgins or celibates are better. Okay. But it's a higher form of love. Mm-hmm. And that even within the context of marriage, the gift of self to a particular person is meant to train us to be in this kind of, like in a way that the promises of poverty, chastity, and obedience ought to inform even the married state to become something of a complete self-gift and and dispossession of self so that I can give myself totally away for all. And I can see God and I can make God manifest through my um, dispossessed love for others 
in a totally generous and fruitful way. And so that even like the sexual act is kind of like meant to be a training for a greater gift. Yeah. Um, but I love that idea. Like when he's talking about the way virginity is, right? It's it's actually something um, great. And it, he goes on to say, this is actually really beautiful. I'll, I'll, not as long, quote. Sex be- becomes... O- becomes a problem only because of the lack of education and attention to what the fathers of the church called spiritual senses, the new seeing, touching, tasting, hearing, and smelling received on the day of baptism. It is no accident that our contemporary hypersexualized culture is so impoverished in contemplation. The taste for, for virginity grows together with the experience of silence and contemplation because prayer, in a Catholic sense, means precisely taking, means precisely a stepping back which is not a movement away from the flesh of faces and things, but the necessary condition for penetrating into their depths and thus seeing and tasting them more. So he's saying that virginity and contemplation have to go together. And I, I, I can attest to that. Like my love for my celibacy has only grown with my prayer. Yeah. That's the thing that I think sometimes is overlooked a little bit because I think seminaries concentrate so much on human formation, uh, which is good. Human formation is essential, but they'll drill into your your heads the need for healthy relationships for exercise for rest uh for uh intimacy in appropriate ways non-sexual ways right uh and all that which is good and right but sometimes they forget to mention like you need a deep relationship with jesus christ as well right and it's in those moments of contemplation that celibacy makes sense um i think it's it's, i mean something just kind of hit me a few weeks ago as I was at my holy hour. Uh, and cause I'm, I was rereading, uh, I've been rereading the book, um, virginity by Contola mm-hmm. Mesa, mm-hmm. which kind of is what dovetails really well with what everything you've been saying. It's yeah. a little book. It's called virginity. Get it, read it. Cause it's really amazing. Um, and he, he equates, he uses the word virginity for celibacy anyway, but realizing in that moment, as I was before the Eucharist, in my rectory that being perfectly content and not wanting to trade my life for any other kind of life mm-hmm. it, it, celibacy only makes sense and only really works if you have a deep relationship with jesus christ exactly yep and you need that you uh, that's the prayer because that's where and i find that that's where the um loneliness gets uh, there is no sense of loneliness because i know the lord's with me and, and I think this is the other thing, because the other thing I love about the way Prosper is kind of talking about virginity there is I can then look at a person with disinterested love. Yeah. And that, I mean, I almost wish, like I was pondering, because I've been really, this, this, uh, this essay was like smacked me across the head in such amazing ways. Um, it's just been actually in some ways it's been making me rethink all sorts of things about my priesthood in a good way, mm-hmm. like, like how to go deeper. Yeah, um, and this is good theology, by the way, folks, because it touches the heart too. That's mm-hmm. that's always good theology. Um, but we don't train our we don't train precept to think this way. Like I know you're saying, right? We talk about the and it, and again, human formation is important because grace does is true build on nature and and it needs a good nature to to do its work. Um, and those points in human formation are all important. And I think actually human formation has been a great way to ensure we have healthy good-headed priests uh, today but it doesn't go far enough we need to go further because I, I i was reading this i was thinking to myself 
the thing that changed the most people when they encountered Jesus was a gaze, right? Like think of in John's gospel, when Peter is there warming his hands by the fire uh, as Jesus is being tried. When does yep. Peter run away? When does he yeah. run away? When, G- when Jesus looks at him. Looks at him. Everything hits him. Everything hits him. Like the whole reality of what is going on, who Jesus yeah. is, what he has done. Exactly. And and um, it's that look. And I think it's it's going to sound weird, but I think our best way to evangelize is through a look. And that is hard because I notice in myself, and, and I think this is the thing. It's like this is where I wish there was some more training up in this because I recognize that sometimes I avoid looking at a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. Because I'm afraid, or whatever. You're afraid you might look at a beautiful person with interested interest. Exactly. Not, <laughs> not exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and so the eyes gaze away, and they don't want to make eye contact. It's not wrong. It's not mm-hmm. wrong, but it means I haven't gone deep enough into my virginity, celibacy, etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I was reading that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got a long way to go. Yeah. It's interesting. I've met Father Prospery. I sat in on a couple of his classes at, in DC when I was there in October. And he has this, like, this is not coming from speculation. Right. This is coming f- from his lived experience no, yeah. um, too, right? He, he lives what he's talking about in a just, uh, yeah, he's, he's awesome. I want him to write more and more stuff. I'll just eat, write everything he writes. But this is the heart of it because then it, it, it also, imagine today where if to be, um, to be someone and the only way people are going to notice you is they take a look at you but for the wrong reasons yeah and imagine if someone gave you a look that was different mm-hmm. and i think that's what jesus did yes yeah and that is what celibacy is meant to do and it's giving me like like i'm reading this and i'm like oh my gosh i gotta be a better pastor in so many ways with regards <laughs> to this <laughs> right but <sighs> right this disinterestedness is really a challenging thing folks but mm-hmm. i think Imagine if every priest lived what he's talking about. Uh, I have one final thought, one side thought. Yeah. I wonder if this is related to in the Roman rites or in the Roman, yeah, uh, for us Romans, the focus or the development of the ocular reception of communion, the fact that we have adoration. Right. While many churches uh, in the East don't have that focus on adoration and looking at the host. I wonder if that's a similar thing with our celibacy, our increased mm-hmm. focus on celibacy. Something about looking and gazing upon Christ in the Eucharist right. and the prevalence of clerical celibacy. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not, but it's something that like popped into my brain right there. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. What's your side note? I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. That's a, yeah, right. It's more, I don't have a comment. I just have to think about it. Right. Because I know, like, historically speaking, um, the lack of reception of communion led more and more to this kind of oculars receiving with your eyes, in a sense. Right. But something about our focus on celibacy, eh, it just seems like it may be, I don't know. Right. That's it. Hmm. Okay. So I, I, I guess where I want to kind of go with, the, I mean, I could speak on hours on this. I tweeted mm-hmm. a lot on this last week because I'm just like, the, there's two things. First, the priesthood is not, um, we're not managers who make decisions. Okay. 
everything, it, like really at the heart of being a priest, everything needs to flow out of my celibate love, mm-hmm. which is a nuptial mystery, by the way, right? Nuptial does not mean sexual. <laughs> it means total self-gift, mm-hmm. right? Um, so everything I do, because, and so we, I think for lay people, we need to kind of start shifting the way we see priesthood. Not as father's the boss, but rather father's the father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, he is there to love us. And we need to make sure. And for for me, like, this is where it's been really kind of hitting me is my, my prayer. I'm working on my prayer life always. Um, but that my, my prayer life, my sacramental life, my, my preaching, teaching life, and my administrative life all flows out of the celibate love. Mm-hmm. And that celibacy is actually the means by which I love my people. And, um, but the best way to grow in that is through prayer and to intercede for them. Like uh, Father uh, Lopez, in, his ne- in the next art- article, really talks about this, that the first task of the priest is to pray and intercede for his local people that he's with. Yeah. That, that's the first thing I should be doing. It yeah. shouldn't be signing papers. It, this is going to be hard for people. It shouldn't even be you know going to do pastoral calls. It should be, I'm praying for you. And I think, because like, well, we're going to talk about this a bit next week, but um, I think that starts to address kind of the workaholism within the priesthood. And it develops a real spiritual way. And then it builds us up to train our people to see the priesthood in a more spiritual way. Like, I think this is where Father Prosper is like dead on. We need the spiritual senses more and more. That it's not about denying the body, but it's about seeing everything from a distance because that's what love does. It always look, gazes at something from a distance. Yeah. And I think of, I think of like the example, uh, if someone see, if someone, you know, if there's a guy, he's walking down the street, he sees a beautiful girl. He doesn't just like run up and want to like, <laughs> you know, investigate her or whatever like that. <laughs> right. Uh, he, he gazes at her from a distance because beauty requires us to gaze. Mm. Right. It requires us to look at something from a distance. And that's what prayer is. And that trains us up to look at everything with that gaze so that we can look at someone beautiful with the eyes of Christ. Mm, yep. And they encounter through our eyes Christ. And that draws them out of themselves to that dis, dis, um, disinterested love. Yeah. And that's the way. It's not programming. It's all prayer. Yeah, prayer that leads us to see the value and the beauty of it all. And one little kind of this is kind of an aside. This little final point. He's talking about the hypersexualized culture, and it is so 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 true. Because okay, I'm kind of wrap it up around the beginning. When the people say, you know, priests are lonely, they need to be married. Folks, I'm going to be blunt here. Just well, not blunt, blunt, but just you know, you may not want your kids around for this discussion. I don't know, but sex is not everything in marriage <laughs> yeah no i mean how often how often is what what people are saying is you know what father would be less lonely if he had more sex yeah like exactly is that like when people need to ask themselves one is that what their question really means right because it might be and if that's what their question really means is they're being honest with each other okay what is wrong with my marriage and yeah. my understanding of marriage yeah because we begin to see biological sexual release as something that is essential to the human person, right? And it's it's not, and that's exactly, and so it's it's that that be, that betrays the inversion of body and soul that we have bought into through the sexual sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. What what virginity is saying is like no no, it's the other way around. 
the spirit comes first and informs and, and lives itself out through the body. I said I wasn't going to go around down this rabbit hole, but I'm going to go down it earlier. Okay. And this is my point is that Father Prosper makes the argument, and it's a very strong argument in the fathers, that the marital embrace prior to the fall would have been virginal. That, what does that even mean? We don't know, actually. The fathers say, I don't know. They just say, somehow, and and you know what their their, their data point is? It's Mary. Oh, man. And That's weird. It's weird, but this is the point. And people struggle with that idea for one reason. And it, it shows us that we've really bought into the more biological view of human nature, that we've forgotten the spiritual side of things. But Mary conceived virginally and gave birth virginally like this is mary is virginal before during and after the birth of jesus we could do a whole another episode on mary's uh the different ways we define mary's virginity right but uh, no but that's that's the church teaching yeah that is the church teaching she is this is the tradition folks and this is um and the fathers say that is how it was supposed to be prior to the fall now, so things changed. The body became priority because of the fall. But the spiritual, when we rediscover spiritual senses, we're not saying body bad, but we're saying body back in the right orientation with the spirit and with mm-hmm. the soul and with God. And when that happens, everything changes. And that's why we need to re- get re in touch with the spiritual senses. But that is such an uphill battle. Yeah, my goodness. Well, it's, a, it's an entire change of your worldview. And not only a change of your worldview, and this is what becomes so difficult, yeah. is that when we're talking about these things, necessarily you need to examine your own moral life yeah and you may realize that you what is so normal and common for you might have to change it might even be wrong yeah your understanding of things and even your actions might be touched with sin in a way that you weren't willing to see before that's why it's so difficult to have this conversation because it, yeah. it, it, it hits right to the heart of what's yeah. going on and reveals so much about what we really think and feel yeah so there there is a ton more we could say i encourage you to look up that communio issue folks it is i've still not done it and it's fantastic but um you know we love to have tommy tie on the show but uh they were too busy doing a twitter meetup in boston instead of doing the real meetup in chicago next week yeah (laughs) they do have they do have sisters though i don't know if we have sisters they might actually oh that's fine yeah they might yeah that's fine i yeah whatever but he was he's (laughs) he's busy recovering from the tweet up so he couldn't be on the show with us and they're busy recording their tv show oh so i've been waiting for tommy ty to make this tweet i'm gonna give it to him here because i know he listens to our podcast all the time is that something he needs to tweet something about with all these twitter meetups happening about the great twitter meetup in heaven right right there's something about tommy ty tweet in there you can fix it tommy i'm just giving you the inspiration a great tweet up in heaven amen um sorry as i had some notes up here now i gotta go back to my thing uh so thank you for listening uh please leave a review (laughs) review please leave a Uh, please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Fr Harrison and me at Father Sharapa. You can contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or emails at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. And before we, we peace out, we're, we're we are doing a, a, a podcast mashup. Right. Should Which we, one? The one with the lay people? 
with uh, the Canon Lawyer Lay person? No, no, no. That's another. We got two, but that one, but that one, we haven't figured out the details on yet. Okay, what's the other one we're doing? Catching foxes. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's real. Yeah, that's yeah. real. We're recording on May thirteenth, so we're gonna record it for their podcast because they're way better than we are. So, uh, eh. but or we're just trying to grace them with our presence to build up the nature of their podcast. I don't know. Beautiful, but, I like that better. Guys, yeah, but yeah. So we're and we want. Well, Father Anthony, we're, we were talking about this. We were like, we want to talk about the. You, you say it. You talk about it. Yeah. So we're going to speak with the Catching Foxes dudes about uh, basically lay ministry and yeah. specifically speaking and preaching ministry in the church and good yeah. ways to do that, bad ways to do that, yeah. um, the influences of that, what that means for the church, yeah. um, the, the nitty gritty of getting paid for that kind of thing. Yeah. And we're going to dive right into that. Because we wanted to talk about this, and then Father Anthony actually made the good point. He says we should talk with lay people about this, because this is who we're talking about. Right. I, I, both of these I, guys work in lay ministry, so, uh, and they were, like, totally pumped for it. Yeah. Like, we joke about clericalism all the time, but we yeah. actually don't want to be clericalists. Yeah. <laughs> like, However, wanna... because yeah. they're lay people, they can't come on our podcast. Also that. So we, <laughs> so we're actually so pretty clerical. <laughs> <laughs> eh. Hey, right. you guys know what you're listening to, yes. so there you go. Cool. God bless you all. Peace.